Hi everyone, welcome to the Pulse Panic Podcast, and if you're watching this on YouTube, uh, to our YouTube channel, I'm your host, Logan Stone. Today, the topic is how Vladimir Putin weaponized cancel culture, why he's even talking about cancel culture, what cancel culture is. You've probably heard quite a bit about it at this point, given the rhetoric on uh, the right, at least in America, there's a lot of focus on it. Uh, but I know throughout most of Europe and the Western world, it's a topic of discussion. It's top of mind for, for most people. And we'll talk about that, extreme wokeism, what we can do about it, if there's any real solution to cancel culture, and how the political left and the political right are both at fault. So without further ado, let's get started. So... We're taping this today on Monday, March 28th, and if you heard Vladimir Putin's speech on Friday uh, of this past week, he referenced cancel culture, and in his rant, talked about J.K. Rowling, how she was canceled. If you if you remember, she made some statements, I think, about transgender people, or at least was promoting some person's statements about that had previously said derogatory things or inflammatory things about transgender people. He basically was equating Russia and himself to J.K. Rowling, saying that they were victims of cancel culture, that the West was trying to cancel Russia. He also referenced Japan, how America canceled all of Japan by bombing uh, Hiroshima and Nagasaki back in 1945. Little did he, you know, not mention though the fact that there had been a brutal war raging in the Pacific, and you know it was it was pretty ugly uh, between the U.S. and Japan there for a few years after the bombing of Pearl Harbor. So it's not like there wasn't any provocation or reason behind the U.S. doing so, but it's beside the point. He didn't put it in context or talk about the history. The point was that he's a victim of cancel culture. Russia's a victim of cancel culture. They're actually the victims here. They're not the aggressors. And one thing that his speech notably did not reference was Ukraine. So here he is waging a brutal war that has now been drawn to a stalemate because of the ineptitude of his armed forces and uh, the generals that keep dying in the field. I think we're up to like number seven or eight of generals that have died. That's just crazy if you really think about that. I mean, you look at any war and there's almost no general that that falls on the battlefield in in a modern war. I mean, if you look at the Civil War, you've got like Stonewall Jackson uh, dying in in the heat of battle and others who who got wounded and ultimately perished. But in in modern warfare, usually the general is so far removed. uh, It really is indicative of the problems and issues in with the military forces uh, for Russia, if generals have to be so close to the front lines where they're getting themselves in harm's way. So that's really surprising. But it's very clear here that Vladimir Putin, speaking specifically about cancel culture this past Friday, was really just aiming to divert attention from his failing military conquest of Ukraine. 
a country with a far more inferior military. Yes, they are well supplied with weapons from the West and from support, uh, indirect support from the West, but their armed forces are really nothing compared to Russia, at least on paper. But the spirit and the gusto that the Ukrainians have for defending their homeland, it's nothing short of remarkable. So I think he's been surprised, quite frankly. So anything that he can do to divert attention, make himself and his and Russia appear more like the victims, I think that's what he's doing here. So he even defined cancel culture. So this is interesting for everyone. Uh, I'll read out his exact definition of it. And it's public ostracism, boycotting, and even complete silencing of people who do not fit into modern templates, no matter how absurd they really are. That's Vladimir Putin's definition of cancel culture. So I think if, if we really unpack that, you know, there is a lot of truth in the actual definition of it. I think this phenomenon of cancel culture is a real issue, both in the West and uh, around the world, but primarily in the West, where people who do not fit with contemporary standards or uh, if they feel like traditional values are being eroded by uh, liberal or progressive ideas, then they stand risk of being canceled. And I think that's, that is true. Um, it's just the way that he's evoking it or invoking it, I should say, and weaponizing it here to, um, we'll, we'll get into why he's weaponizing it, but the, the way he's doing it here is obviously in bad faith, given that he's a brutal warlord and butcher, as Joe Biden would call him, uh, in waging this war against innocent Ukrainians, and including civilians, by the way. Let's keep that in mind. It's not just Ukrainian armed forces. It's it's mothers, children, and Ukrainian civilians who have had apartments bombed and missiles hitting Red Bull's maternity wards all blown up into flames. Shopping center in the middle of Kiev. You've probably seen the pictures. It's just brutal. I mean, absolutely devastating. So the fact that he would invoke cancel culture as kind of a defense is you know pretty ridiculous um, at this point but let's really get us into why he's doing this what is his aim what is his goal Um, first of all he knows he needs to survive and retain power he needs western allies instead of attacking the west with an unimpressive military and even cyber attacks He's trying to wage a cultural war. He wants to target the West where it's weak. And the weakest point right now in the West is our freedom of speech. Now, we often think of freedom of speech as a strength. It is the First Amendment of the Constitution. It's the first few sentences of uh, the Bill of Rights of the U.S. Constitution. And we view that to be like one of the most sacred rights that we have in America, at least, and throughout every liberal democracy, let's be serious, like free speech is the the underpinning of it all, being able to express or say what you believe without uh, concerns of censorship or silence. So that's a, but at the same time, that right that we give to everybody, all citizens have in, in the West, 
It can also be used to spread misinformation, to spread disinformation. We've seen that with COVID, that you know everybody's a, a COVID or vaccine expert since um, the pandemic hit. Everybody's a, a virologist or epidemiologist. You know, it's it's the information is dangerous online because you don't necessarily know if the source is reputable. Even if you're getting it from mainstream media, mainstream media has been wrong about a lot of it, and as has doctors and um, the U.S. government. Uh, you know. People were downplaying whether the virus was maybe leaked from a lab and you were considered a crazy or conspiracy theorist if you even believe such a thing. But when in reality, you know, the it's, it's kind of weird. It's a bit weird that there's all these facts that line up like, you know, the Wuhan Institute of Virology and, um, you know, some of the the circumstantial evidence that, that we have to date, um, can't, we can't necessarily rule that out is basically the bottom line. But, you know, you listen to mainstream media or you just go on Twitter and you can be inundated with all sorts of things. You don't know what to believe. So this has driven society into bedlam and a state of uh, uncertainty. And it also drives people against each other. It creates a very polarized world when people are literally able to say whatever they want and a lie can get can circle the globe multiple times before the truth has a chance to put its boots on, let alone tie those boots. So it's a pretty dangerous and tumultuous time that we live in when it comes to information, the veracity of information, and what the truth is. We don't necessarily, it's hard to tell. So that's something that social media companies I know are still working on. It's something that governments are battling with, and it's not going to be an issue that's solved overnight. That's for sure. Putin knows this. He knows that we are quick to react when we see misinformation or we perceive something to be misinformation or we perceive someone to be uh, spreading information you know, ideas or rhetoric that we think of is dangerous. Uh, so we, we have a tendency now in the modern age to jump on those people and to try to silence them when that literally is in the antithesis of what we sh should be doing uh, as a liberal democracy that celebrates free speech and opinions from anyone and everyone no matter who you are or what you think, because we believe in the marketplace of ideas in the West, or at least we should believe in that, that the open market of ideas will wait out the, the bad ideas, the untruthful uh, statements, and we can be the natural air-seeking machines that we are. But you know, some are obviously more equipped to do that and better at it than others, but that's kind of the core principle here. So... Putin, though, knows that we're divided when it comes to information, when it comes to, you know, the talking heads on cable news, like the Tucker Carlson's of the world, and he's trying to play right into that. So that's why he's invoking cancel culture. He's trying to recruit allies in the West. He thinks that this will resonate, especially with the far right in the West, whether it's in Europe, 
in Canada with that, you know, the trucker movement that just happened in the United States, of course. He's trying to speak directly to the people, the large segments of the population that are currently feeling that their traditional values, their way of life is under attack by socialism, by extreme liberal thoughts. And in many ways, what's really scary about what he's doing is that he's not off base here completely. Uh, The way that he's using cancel culture is obviously horrible because he knows exactly what he's doing here and what he's in in the context of the war in ukraine it's it's complete bad faith but it will resonate with people in the west it absolutely will because there are kernels of truth in some of what he said about people being canceled and Not about Russia being canceled, though. Nobody's canceling Russia here. That's where the bad faith element of it comes in. But just think about, like, in the West, it's pretty common to hear somebody say, like, wow, this is weird that somebody biologically born as a man can compete against women in the Olympics. You know, that's the erosion of traditional values that... Um, you know, and if somebody comes out against that, they get canceled online, especially if there's somebody with a following uh, that, you know, it might be like even a minor celebrity. There could be, you know, there will be a coalition of people that come together and wage war to cancel that person. So it's a message that will resonate with people in the West, which is why Putin is voicing it. I don't think he necessarily cares about the plight of a J.K. Rowling or um, or anything, but in by the way, she had a fantastic message back to him. In a tweet, she said that critics of Western cancel culture are possibly not best made by those currently slaughtering civilians for the crime of resistance or who jail and poison their critics. Hashtag I stand with Ukraine. Hell yeah, J.K. Rowling. Hell yeah. It was a great tweet from her. She has come under fire recently. And um, some of it was probably warranted to some degree, but uh, a lot of it's overblown, to be honest. It's and it's exhausting. Like you feel like you're walking on eggshells all the time. People can't say anything. Uh, we just had the the Oscars the, uh, the other night here in the U.S. and the slap heard around the world happened uh, when Will Smith was defending his wife for Chris Rock making a joke about her hair. And I don't know if Chris Rock knew that she had a condition where her hair's falling out, but calling her G.I. Jane, I mean, come on, Will. This is ridiculous. The fact that you get on stage and use violence by smacking a comedian because he made a joke about your wife, you know, that's unbelievable. Like, we can't say anything anymore i feel like in in america and around the world because people are so hypersensitive and touchy about anything that people say now there's a flip side to that though where people are um like putin acting in bad faith and trying to spread misinformation and trying to twist facts and twist reality to drive an agenda So that's where you get like the likes of Tucker Carlson, uh, the Fox News host coming in, where 
you know, with Putin saying some of these things, he's hoping to build an international culture war with the Tucker Carlson's of the world. It's an invitation to the Western far right to jump on the bandwagon with him and say, you know, look at me, guys. Look what's happening to Russia. We're being canceled by the West. We're really the victims here, not the people I don't mention, the Ukrainians. Um, so that's obviously entirely misplaced, but I can't stress enough that this really scary thing here is that this type of messaging will actually resonate with many people in the West, uh, many viewers of Tucker's show, many people who who think that their traditional values are being eroded, that they can't say anything for fear that they'll be criticized or just jumped on by liberals and progressives. So those liberals and progressives, though, and the, the political left in general, it shares some of the blame here. We'll get to that next here after a quick break. So how does the political left share some of the blame? Well... The political left is supposed to champion civil liberties. That's what they stand for. You go back to Lyndon Johnson and the Great Society, JFK before him, the bedrock of progressivism and liberal democratic thought is protection of civil liberties and being a staunch supporter no matter who you're you know, defending. It should be agnostic as to who the person is. Everybody is afforded certain civil liberties, no matter their opinions, their viewpoints, their backgrounds. It's agnostic as to the person. And especially, especially being supporters of all free speech, not just democratic free speech, not just uh, liberal ideology, it's free speech, all of it. So the reason why I say that the political left, though, shares some of the blame here is that all it takes is for someone like uh, Milo Yiannopoulos, I, I believe that's how you say his last name, he visited in 2017, just to give you an example, Liberal University, uh, University of California at Berkeley, and all hell broke loose. There were massive protests. The student body was coming out saying that he couldn't speak at the, he shouldn't be able to speak at the campus. These so-called liberals were silencing his opinion because they didn't agree with it. They didn't want him to even talk. And in the process, they protested so violently that they caused over $100,000 in property damage from the protests. I mean, how insane is that? Like, we, we have to remember here that the American left the American Civil Liberties Union, which was the main um, main group and organization that uh, defended free speech for years, that group used to defend Nazis. Think about that. Like the most fascist ideology and um, th thoughts, and most you know racist and uh, just politically problematic and uh, toxic ideas were defended by the ACLU of you know what many people would consider to be a very left-wing uh, organization but they viewed at least at the time and this was some year many years ago at this point but at the time they viewed all civil all civil liberties and all forms of speech the same no matter who was making it because the right to free speech is so sacred 
that you know you start chilling some types of speech you chill all of it and it's almost impossible to find where the line actually is so i i just you know i want people to remember that that we have this history and lineage in america and in liberal democracies around the world of defending speech no matter who makes it so what i'm getting at here is that the political left especially in america has given Putin the opportunity here to wage war, a culture war, on cancel culture because of the hypersensitivity and just us quick to react whenever we hear an opinion that we don't agree with. And instead of trying to use logic and reasoning and our you know good rhetoric to combat that opinion, people are way too quick just to can't silence it. Silence the critics. It's too dangerous hearing Milo Yiannopoulos talk at a college cam- on a college campus. I mean, have we lost our minds? Let, let, just let the man speak. And if you're so sure that what his opinions, you know, that his opinions are wrong, um, which for the record, I think they are, but if you're so sure of that, let him speak and fight him in the public square with your ideas that counter his ideas and we'll see who comes out victorious but he needs to be afforded the opportunity and the aclu at least at one point in its history would have agreed with that i they if you look at their website today they do claim that they haven't lost their way that they defend any and all ideas and forms of speech um that's debatable and questionable at best, but one thing that's not is that the political left has has definitely lost its way. It has lost the ability to uh, hear dissenting viewpoints that they don't agree with, and that's a problem. So just to get it out of the way, though, and if you've read anything that I've written uh, over the past year, you would know I'm no advocate at all for the current Republican Party especially when it comes to the rhetoric and the fantasies of January the 6th and everything that happened on and around that date. Many of the debates that we're having today with uh, the modern GOP and Republicans, they trend way too far into the sky's blue territory, meaning that we can't even agree on basic undisputed facts. Like, it's the equivalent of most many Republicans, you say one thing to them and they'll say, actually, the sky is green. It's pink when, in fact, it's still blue. So if we can't even agree on baseline facts, like there was no um, systemic fraud that would have put Trump in the White House, if we can't even agree on that, which, you know, 50 plus court cases independently agreed with, that they found no evidence to suggest otherwise, how we can't even agree on basic facts like that is mind-blowing to me. So we'll get to the political right and their hypocrisy on cancel culture, but first let's, you know, let's continue talking about the political left because they've created this opportunity for the Vladimir Putins, for the far right to wage a cultural war because of the hypersensitivities that they have toward dissenting viewpoints that they don't agree with and just they'd prefer to just shut it out silence those people don't let them talk but what that does it creates martyrs 
it, it martyrs the Donald Trumps of the world. If you tell him that he can't use Twitter anymore or he can't use any other form of social media, if anything, that's only emboldened him. It's made him uh, crazier in many ways. And he still issues press releases through, you know, the, the Trump webpage or, you know, whatever he's spitting out from Mar-a-Lago. But it's just emboldened him. And it's, it's emboldened his, criti- his uh, cronies. And uh, we, we honestly, like, I, I think Republicans, if you were to ask many of them, they're happy that he doesn't even have Twitter anymore because he honestly made a fool out of himself on the daily they're happy that that megaphone is gone because they don't have to clean up after him or get themselves into a sticky situation when being interviewed by the press and they have to acknowledge Trump's tweet. You know, of course, you know, nobody saw the tweet uh, by the time they were interviewed, but they don't have to respond to that because he's no longer able to tweet. But it just emboldens people if you take away their microphone or their megaphone. But despite this inevitable martyrdom, many on the political left, they insist that we need to shut down certain thoughts, ideas, and people, and we need to cancel them. And they're viewed as just too dangerous, too untrue. But, you know, for anybody that's read John Stuart Mill's On Liberty, he would appreciate, I think, that the, the idea of a marketplace of ideas is very strong. Just as I'm a strong believer in capitalism and the free market with reasonable controls, of course, I'm also a strong believer in a free market for speech. And let the market decide what speech is good, what speech is bad. The political left's aversion to protecting all forms of speech, it's allowed Putin to weaponize it against them. So when we come back, I'll touch on the political right, their hypocrisy, how they've also allowed Putin to wage war on cancel culture right up here in a minute. So there was one really interesting part of Putin's rant uh, this past Friday where he compared the current book banning to in the West to Nazi Germany. One thing that I think he forgot, though, was that most of his ardent Western supporters were those same people are doing the bulk of the banning, at least in the United States. So if you recall from Glenn Youngkin's campaign for governor in Virginia this past year, many of uh, the books and the teaching materials that he was taking issue with, they were classics like Toni Morrison's Beloved. You know, she, she's a Nobel laureate, for God's sake. And he thought that it was pushing this whole idea of critical race theory on grade schoolers, which is a complete fabrication. It's false. I'm not going to stop Glenn or anybody on the right who supports him from saying it, of course, as I've you know stressed throughout this entire podcast and, and video. But he's the type of person... I don't know what his thoughts are on on Putin today, but many, uh, including Tucker Carlson, whose clips are played in Russia by the Kremlin state-sponsored media, that's how much they appreciate his alternative viewpoint. They're the types of people that are banning these books. Nobody on the left that I'm aware of, at least, has at least, thankfully, pressed to ban 
books that have been written by, say, conservative authors, the, all the book banning that's happening at the moment is all on the right. They're trying to ban books from schools because they think that these books are put, you know, making children feel inferior or blaming them for being white. And while they're you know, not 100% wrong all the time, um, they're mostly wrong. Like a book like Beloved, for example, I mean, that's, that should be, that's understandably a core part of any high school curriculum. If you know, you're trying to create a well-rounded person, it's a holistic approach to education. You want them to read everything, uh, including perspectives that might make them feel uncomfortable. That's what the whole point of education is, is to make people think critically and be uncomfortable and be able to analyze and assess things that are foreign to them. That's the whole point of uh, liberal arts and you know, solid, strong educational foundation. But there's obviously a big drive on, on the right to really set an agenda for education. This goes back to the erosion of traditional values. They don't want people being told about, you know, what, you know, this is what it's like to be gay. This is what it's like to be lesbian. All of that is dangerous to them. So they're being quite hypocritical, I would say, by in one, in one respect, blaming the left for cancel culture, which as we've just discussed to some degree, they're right to do. But then at the same time, banning books that also, uh, you know, that they might not agree with, canceling those books, canceling those authors in schools. I mean, what's, uh, what's the difference? They're really, we're seriously, um, you know, splitting hairs here and doing, they're being extremely hypocritical. So Putin though, for, for what he's driving at, he could care less about the political rights hypocrisy. I care about it because I see it on a daily basis here in America. All he cares about, all Putin cares about is the tinderbox that the words cancel culture create amongst the political right and the rest of the base. If he can just get a few people to see him and Russia as the victim, to think, oh, you guys are victims too, just like me? I'm a victim of cancel culture. My family's a victim of cancel culture. Putin, you are too? Oh, you know, we've got something that you know we can build upon that brings us together. So he's really trying to make inroads that he can continue to build upon and develop a base here in the West, very much uh, with Tucker Carlson's viewers and the like. And the scary thing is, he's probably going to succeed to some degree. So this all raises the question, what can we do about it? How do we defend against attempts by dictators and far-right fascists? How do we defend against their efforts to weaponize cancel culture, given that this is a serious weak point for the West? In Putin's war with Ukraine, it's a battle of ideas as much as it is one of territory. He knows that if he can win over a few hearts and minds of the West, 
that he can continue to wage war. He can stay in power. He can retain his power and not get pushed out. It will help his domestic support too. If he, if people in Russia see that he has support in the international community. So why not use the West divisive rhetoric against itself? Many people have already accepted his invitation to come on board, which is really sad and really scary to think that we have people that could objectively look at the situation in Ukraine and say, oh, you know, Putin's the victim here. It's really disgusting, but it exists, unfortunately. But in order to defeat Putin's attempts to wage a war of ideas and culture, we need to be vigilant about a marketplace of ideas, a free marketplace of ideas. And yes, we should have controls around like flagging for COVID-19 disinformation, where, where something is like clearly fabricated, clearly made in bad faith and meant to be untruthful. There should be flags, there should be controls similar to what Twitter already is now doing. But those instances should be extremely rare. They should be, those caveats or exceptions to free speech and an open marketplace of ideas, they should be extremely, extraordinarily rare. Because as I've said, canceling critics only emboldens them and it polarizes whoever is on one person's side or the other. Let the marketplace of ideas decide what's right or wrong, what's good or bad, and what's beautiful or ugly. I think we're all going to be better off for it because the more that we cancel each other, the more we allow despots and dictators like Vladimir Putin to use it as ammunition to damage our democracy. So I'll leave you with that. Let me know what your thoughts are in the comments, and I'll look forward to seeing you on the next episode. Cheers.